On today's episode, Jonah M. Jackson and I transform into all kinds of weird space creatures. This is The Hard Move. Hello and welcome to The Hard Move, a Powered by the Apocalypse discussion podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Gravelin, and with me today is my guest, Jonah M. Jackson. How are you doing, Jonah? Doing great. Doing great. Happy to be on the show. Yeah. So you are, are no stranger to PBTA content. Um, I, I hear you are part of a podcast called The Quest Company. Yes, that is correct. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the show, maybe how it got started and what you guys are up to? Yeah, absolutely. So Quest Company is a live play RPG podcast where we play mostly Dungeons and Dragons as our like main quest. And then we do a lot of side quests. And those are where we really uh, enjoy doing Powered by the Apocalypse games. Uh, we've done little uh, mini arcs of like Monster of the Week and Uncharted Worlds. And we've actually got one coming out soon that we're doing Dungeon World that we're really excited about. Uh, so we like uh, having that short format to kind of try out games that are uh, really uh, narrative-driven, uh, where it's uh, a lot more open-ended and you've got a lot of room for creativity uh, rather than having a lot of the crunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, we find that really exciting and really fun to play within these sort of short-form games where things just get really buck-wild real quick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's what's really interesting about PBT is when you're playing games that have a little bit more crunch to them, they don't they kind of offer you... A, an outcome of what you're doing, but they don't necessarily offer you more. Like, here are other possibilities. There's other things that you hadn't even thought of. And I find that's one thing that PBTA games do very, very well, just given the way that we do, you know, the miss, partial success, and full success. And then mm-hmm. the GM can choose from a list of hard moves, and it's all very variable. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in those moments where you fail, you're still failing forward. You're still mm-hmm. moving the story along uh, instead of like, well, you missed. Um, see you next round. Right. Or the th- like, I know I don't want to dog on D&D, but the no, absolute- because I love it. I do a whole podcast. It's mostly <laughs> right? that. So like, but I, yeah. there's the one part, the one part of D&D and similar games that drives me up a wall is when somebody does a check, like a perception check, and fails, and then somebody else just does the same thing and fails, and then somebody else does the same thing, and and it's just like, stop. Please stop. Right. Just keep just keep going. Oh, we've missed so much loot, we're just like, well, okay, yeah, whoever was designated <laughs> missed it, and we, we, we blew it, we'll get some kind right? of loot later. It's fine, I don't have a magic item, whatever. Just keep 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 going. Yeah, and when I do a D&D game, I do that too. Somebody says, oh, I do... A, a perception check and they fail and i go okay the status quo is about to change so the next person isn't going to make the same check it can't i'm yeah. gonna something is going to happen in the interim um just because i like they can still do a perception check later but it's going to be under different circumstances because i need it to be interesting to me too right exactly so all right well that's that's probably the quota of dogging on dnd for the show i think we right, should right. we get we filled that time yeah. So uh, you mentioned one of the systems that you guys play on the podcast is Uncharted Worlds. And yes. that is the system that we're going to be talking about today, uh, specifically um, a move out of a playbook from the Far Beyond Humanity expansion. So I had to dig deep for this to find <laughs> what we're talking about, because I've never I've never played Uncharted Worlds. I've never read Uncharted Worlds. I've never heard Uncharted Worlds. 
you know, there's other games that I talk about that I've never actually played, but I've read so many times and I've heard so many people play that I feel like I know enough about it. But Uncharted Worlds <laughs> is probably really apropos of the title is Uncharted for me. I don't know a whole lot about it other than what I have researched for this episode. So oh, that's so interesting. I'm so excited. So yes, I'm going to come in with some, some wild stuff, but um, I did do a, I did do reading of several sections from uh, far beyond humanity and the base book. So I think I got my bases covered for research here, but I'll, nice. I'll be leaning on you for more kind of game context and, and how the whole thing works out. So all that said, why don't you go ahead and name our move? Great. Uh, so the move that we are going to be talking about is from the Shaper uh, playbook, and it is called Transform. If you have it in front of you and would like the honor, I'd love to have you read it out for us. Absolutely. Transform. You can take on the form and bodily capabilities of a physical subject up to three times bigger or smaller than you. Uh, immediately after an assessment of the subject, at any time by spending a data point about the subject, you can return to your original form at any time, assuming a shape larger than the available area is a bad idea. <laughs> Those last few words are really good, but let's come back to that. Let's Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. <laughs> let's dig in first. So um, a little context. Here's what I know about the Shaper. The Shaper mm -hmm. is one of the new careers in mm -hmm. Far Beyond Humanity. Um, careers in Uncharted Worlds are kind of like a class um, when you create a, a class is the wrong word. Background might be a right word. When you create a character in Uncharted Worlds, you pick two careers and then mm -hmm. choose moves across them. Um, and it looked like you can choose three when you start. Yeah. Well, you sort of like make your own class in a way because you choose mm -hmm. from the two careers to make like your own sort of thing. So like, for example, this particular move I use for my character from the, the manifest side quest on the quest company. Uh, and I am a quote mutated expansionist, a combination of the explorer career and the shaper career. Mm hmm. Um, and so I've sort of made my own class between the two of those, a sort of space explorer who had, you know, uh, whatever circumstances happened to him that have yet to be revealed. Uh, but now he has these sort of uh, beyond human powers, uh, transforming being one of them. Like I said, I'd never heard about this game before and read it. Um, and when I read that part, like pick two careers and then choose some moves across them, I'm like, oh, this is an amazing idea. This is an amazing mechanic to create a nearly infinite uh, number of combinations that you can make for your character. Oh my gosh, yeah, between being able to choose you know, between the careers, but then the fact that you get the different skills that you mm -hmm. can choose from within those. Yeah, there are so many different ways that you can take characters and everything. It's really exciting and really fun to play. I, It's a game that I enjoy a lot, and I'm excited uh, that we're going to get back to recording it soon because I've missed playing it. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Okay, so mechanically, first of all, there's no rolling, and it doesn't have your kind of typical trigger from a PBTA game. It's just something you do. You can Correct. do this. And you take on the form and capabilities of a subject up to three times bigger or smaller, so that gives you a lot of space to play, especially when there are other weird creatures and entities out there in your game. In space. In yeah. space. <laughs> and so it has two ways that you can do it. And this is where we're going to have to dig into some other mechanics of the game. So you can transform 
one, immediately after an assessment of the subject, and that's capital A assessment, because that's a separate move. Right. Or two, at any time, by spending an uppercase D data point about the subject, which is another mechanic. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do a very, very quick, like, here's what I know. And then you can you can fill in some minutia if I've missed anything. Absolutely. Assessment is another basic move that everybody can do. And it's basically just it's it's more than just investigating because you can roll with any stat that you want. And it's all about gaining insight and knowledge about a subject. So if I do the basic move assessment on this camel, I don't know why camel is the first thing that popped into my head. This space camel. Space camel. Oh, yeah. Just put space in front of whatever. That's how you do it. I'm a writer. (laughs) I know how to do that. (laughs) So I do an assessment basic move about this space camel and I can roll with whatever stat I want. Presumably, if I'm a more uh, sciencey type, I would use those skills. If I'm doing, you know, if I'm like stalking my prey, I might use more of a stealthy type of deal. Um, and then you always get some information, but degrees of usefulness. Um, so you get, um, on a 10 plus, you get really good information and you receive a data point about the subject. Mm-hmm. More on that later. <laughs> and then on a seven to nine, you get something interesting, maybe not super relevant. And then on a six minus, you learn something about the subject that you wish wasn't true, which is, can we talk about how good that is? It's very good. Uh, just that little caveat where it's like, you wish it wasn't. Right? Whatever that is. Ugh. In a world of RPGs where you fail and nothing happens... And PBTA is always trying to make something happen. And then Uncharted Worlds comes along and says, oh, no, you're going to always learn something. But, you know, like 25% of the time, you're going to hate it. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be very bad for you. But you learned something. But you learned something. You learned what to avoid. (laughs) Right. So here's my first question. The, The way Transform is written just says after an assessment. Do you have to succeed the assessment to transform? Or even in that failure, noticing the terrible bits, could you still activate transform? I would say, and this is this is something that I think is going to vary from game to game, because this move is so open-ended, I think that it's one that if you want to play as a shaper, and specifically if you want to use this move, you should definitely talk with your GM beforehand. Like, I talked extensively with Joe Lytus, our GM, before doing this in our game because it's so crazy open-ended. But I would say I think it makes sense that even if you fail the assessment, that you have still learned something about it and you can still technically transform. Now, the accuracy of the transformation and sort of Mm -hmm. what that does might not be what you expected or wanted, but I would think that you still transform. Yeah, question mark into that or something that resembles it at least <laughs> yeah and I, I you know I, I got some i got some more questions written down about uh, exactly about that kind of like the this doesn't have to be a binary you did transform or you didn't transform thing mm-hmm. but i think we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit i want to finish the mechanical side so the the next mm-hmm. way you can do it is by just spending a data point which we just found out is generated from a 10 plus on an assessment so If I get my 10 plus on assessment, I can transform right away. And then I also get a data point so I can transform at least one more time later. So I kind of bank it. Right. Yeah, you can bank that for later. And you like, uh, I I see the space camel. I turn into some form of space camel. 
Mm-hmm. I also succeeded on my assessment so I can become Space Camel at a later time and right. spend that data point. Exactly. So this kind of goes back to the accuracy of the transformation in the section about data points does kind of give some vague guidelines about how fresh, quote unquote, the data point is. Um, you know, if I if I assess the space camel and then try and use that data point four months later or after I sustain some kind of head trauma, maybe that data point isn't relevant anymore or i'm remembering it a different way and mm. i think that then the again like you talked about this is a conversation with the gm does that mean i just cannot do it or does that mean that i can use it but i transform into some weird version of the space camel that doesn't have the traits and the shape and the whatever that i'm actually going for yeah i think that it definitely would affect this game has a lot of, you know, the tags uh, for, you know, weapons, armor, mm-hmm. vehicles, attire, all of that. Uh, I think that using that as a sort of frame of reference for things that you can transform into is really helpful because that way, you know, if you uh, try to transform into it and it doesn't go exactly as you anticipate, like the tags can change. And mm-hmm. so you might not be exactly what it is, but it, it might be some sort of morphed by your memory of it or your personal experience with it or whatever, or just like, I can't quite remember, but I think it was something like this that sort of changes mm-hmm. uh, and those tags change. And, you know, that's sort of dependent on the the thing that you are transforming into. Yeah. Yeah, those tags actually might be a really good mechanical way to play at memory. So if I'm the GM and your space camel, when we first did your transformation, we determined that it has three tags. And now four months later, you're trying to use a data point to transform into it. And I might say, ah, you can pick one or two. And then we like give it some other ones or take away whatever. Like we create this different less effective version of space camel you know maybe he can't carry enough water in his hump or whatever you know we we mess with the tags which again is as far as i could see in the book those there's no rules for any of what i just said correct yeah no because we have we have some specific like mechanical things that we did to this move for our game just to make it easier for us and to sort of not break the game by just being like well i just turned into whatever and i have these tags because i did the thing Mm mm-hmm so we, we had some mechanical things that we did to that to sort of try to help that. And it involves the tags and all of that and uh, sort of is a way to even it out and not make it quite as absurd, but still mm-hmm. really relevant and useful in, in this sort of story setting. Yeah, exactly. I, th- I think you could you could play this move right out of the box exactly the way it's written. And it's still enough to give you guidance. And it's it sounds like I... I feel like I know enough about this move to know when and how and why to use it in a game. Right. But I could create, you know, some house rules around it with my GM to say, talk about data point freshness and to talk about uh, maybe limiting certain or how many tags, just whatever we think would be the right flavor for the the game we're playing immediately. Yeah, yeah definitely with uh, whatever's relevant for, for that game, there are things that you can do to really make it. Mm-hmm. feel right yeah exactly i think that was all i had mechanically is there any other game rules or mechanics that you felt were helpful or inspiring to make um, use of when you're using transform or is this pretty much it uh, i think it's i think the wide utility of it is what i really appreciate but also that there are a couple of very specific limitations to it 
that sort of rein it in uh, and that make you potentially have to be creative of how you're using it, like the the whole size thing and the fact that, um, again, that whole assuming a shape larger than the available area is a bad <laughs> idea. There, There is room to, to play there um, with those, you know, if you if you decide that you want to play it where you have to roll to transform and that, you know, affects the tags or, or whatever's going on, there is room for... Um, the dm2 you know maybe impose negative tags or uh just the Mm -hmm. transformation like we talked about doesn't go exactly like you think i think that how it makes things wide open story-wise without being incredibly you know game breaking or able to do anything too crazy compared to you know what the other careers can do i just really enjoy that about this move and it's a really fun move to get to use in play yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit more about some of those specific scenarios then. Um, you know, we can kind of use the size one as a good lead-in. You know, this isn't just, oh, I fill the space. I feel like that part of the move text gives me as a GM liberty to just say, oh, you're too tall, so you have to bend over so you can't run as fast. Or, you know, this environment's not quite right for the shape that you're trying to take, so maybe you, you know, aren't as dexterous as you used to be. And like you said, there are tags that can go along with that. Yeah, like clumsy or whatever, yeah. Exactly. So what do you think some of that looks like when... So you're not just turning into like the all-powerful alien space monster. What are some of the ways that you maybe limit yourself or some of the ways that your GM plays in response to that to say, here's how your shape plays in the space? Uh, Well, I think that one of the ways is like talking with your GM specifically about like that you are able to transform into anything uh, mm-hmm. Any physical subject, because this is this is an interesting um, thing that I don't think it really clarifies. So you you should definitely be upfront with when you are going to play. It says you can take on the form and bodily capabilities of a physical subject, but it doesn't necessarily say that it has to be an organic subject, just a physical something. So like a tank or yeah, you know a, a big a big car. Like it doesn't it doesn't say specifically a living being, just some sort of physical thing. The way that we play it is it, it's, it's like an organic living being, but it, because it's just open enough, it's definitely something you should talk about so that you don't become, you know, a Optimus Prime or something. Right. Well, yeah. So I read bodily capabilities and said, mm. okay, well, it has to, like, I wouldn't say this tank has bodily capabilities, mm-hmm. but some people might say a tank has bodily capabilities. Especially what, you know, again, what if it's a robot tank? What if it's an AI tank? What if it's a transforming tank? Now suddenly we are playing in a space where bodily has some interpretation mm-hmm. available to it. So again, I think you're 100% right. This is a move that kind of demands you as a player to talk with your GM early and often to make sure that this isn't going to catch anyone off guard and no one's going to be confused about how it will be applied. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that another way to help it is uh, if you're wanting to, uh, you know, pull something out of out of the tank of like, oh, this is I'm going to transform into this creature. 
talking with them about a, you know, you have like a specific list of like, okay, I want to turn into alien creatures. These are the sort of creatures that I've seen. Um, and so there's nothing that's, you know, crazy like, oh yeah, you know, the all powerful, uh, God alien. I could just turn into that. Cause I, I remember that I had a data point about that. It's in my backstory, whatever, but having specific things. And for me, actually, there, there are some, there's some really cool art that I found and things like that, um, that have inspired the sort of creatures that I think are really cool to be able to bring into the world. I was in, uh, inspired by, uh, this, uh, series of illustrations and, and um, writing that I found called From the Moray River that's got a lot of sort of alien uh, creatures and things um, where it's like, okay, yeah, Joe, so I really think that this sort of creature is cool. And because, you know, I have explored these different planets and stuff, like I, I think that I could have seen like this, this, and this. And we can talk about, okay, what are what are the potential tags that that has? And if it's something where, you know, if I haven't immediately done an assessment or whatever, you know, we can roll plus whatever to try to replicate that if it's something that I've seen at whatever point in the past pre-game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there, the most immediate response that I have is almost like a flashback, right? Like you just decide, oh, I, I really want to turn into this thing, but it's not here and I don't have a data point. Can I play mm-hmm. out a flashback where I get to roll an assessment and... Mm-hmm. It might not generate a data point. It might just generate something I know, which then might play into a faulty transformation, or it could generate mm-hmm. a data point that, that now I can use in this moment, which I'm always a big fan of, of flashbacks. You know, there's no need to, my, I know I've, I've used this example at least once or twice on the show. It's like, I don't want to be in a cave and need rope and be penalized because I didn't go to the store to buy rope. Right. That, I, I don't want to go to the store and buy rope. It's boring to go to the store and buy rope, but I don't want to have to be punished because I didn't say those things out loud 20 minutes ago. Exi- yes, 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 to exactly what you are saying. Absolutely. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of, of flashbacks, and, and this case definitely opens itself up to being able to work well with a flashback assessment and then, oh, I just happen to have this data point and, you know, maybe if your flashback was really long ago, now we have a, you know, that kind of stale data point that we get to play around with. So it's -hmm. interesting. I mean, no matter what comes out of that, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. You can still attempt, you know, even if it doesn't go the way that you want it. That's the great thing about PBTA is that even if it doesn't go like you think it's going to go, it's still going to do something. Right. And you're still going to keep on moving forward and you get to see how that plays out. One of the other things that you said that was really interesting to me was that you were doing your own kind of research on art or, you know, existing living creatures and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. which I'm sure every role-playing game player does that. Oh, yeah, we've all got the Pinterest boards, yeah. Everybody's do- everybody does that. But what's interesting is this move encourages you to do that and take it to the GM and say, I really want there to be this 25-foot-long space eel that shoots lightning out of its eyes. Yes. Um, is that something you do a lot with this move? Is that something you do just in ge- – is that you in general or was it that this move that kind of encouraged that? 
Well, I think I, in general, really like to, you know, find things that inspire me for the characters that I'm playing or that I'm coming up with uh, and all of that sort of imagery and and learning about, you know, the things that they would know. But this move in particular, more so than any of the other ones that I have sort of seen in Uncharted Worlds or any other PBTA game that I've played, it really did inspire me to, like, go look at the biology of some of these creatures, real and fictional, and figure out what sort of planet I've explored to find that thing. And and I saw it and what was my experience with it when I did encounter it and, you know, what does it do and why? And so just seeing these things and thinking, okay, I want to transform into something like this. I have to then think of all of these circumstances around that, which is really fun. And also hammering that out, that becomes part of the backstory that I get to flesh out with the GM. And then, you know, hopefully some of those things, get to show up in the story that we're playing and and get to be a really cool thing for everybody to experience as well. Right. Yeah. A huge part of this move is that you have to, you, you have to assess the creature and, or have a data point, which comes from assessing. So you can't just, uh, well, actually maybe this is an interesting, interesting question. Does assess require me to be physically there? Could I go to a zoo? Could I watch a video of it? Could I read a book of it? Like, where do you feel like the, the line is for you as a player for you to accurately assess something for transform? I think that there has to be, even if you're not in person, some level of seeing the thing, whether it's on a a video or in person or or whatever, Mm -hmm. seeing how it moves, how it breathes, seeing the things that it can do, uh, being able to study it. I think it has to be more than words on a page. Okay. In the, in the sense of this, unless you just read about it and maybe you see a picture, but then maybe that means that you don't quite have all of the information and maybe that leads to a faulty transformation or some of those uh, negative tags like we talked about, uh, if right. that's what you decide to go with. I think you, I think that you could probably technically still get a data point, but I would think that the way that it makes most sense is that you have to see it, whether it's in person or on a screen or in a zoo or something like that, but you got to be able to observe the thing living in its state. I think, I think that's actually really interesting because you don't have to make a kind of black and white decision about what is and isn't allowed. You could just say, you could do any kind of assessment you want on this creature, but the more removed you are from physically seeing the real thing in person, the mm-hmm. more likely you are to have a imperfect transformation. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, I think that totally tracks. <laughs> I like this move for all the stuff that it doesn't say, I guess. Like yeah. <laughs> all of the, all of the, the arguing back and forth between GM and player. And there's like l- so many different levels you could go down. Like how, if, you turning into, you know, the the mega powerful space crab is very, very important <laughs> right now in this moment for some reason. And all you have is a book. I'm not going to tell you no. I'm still going to let you try and transform into what is ultimately going to be a hideously deformed, ineffective space crab because that's what's interesting to you as a player. I'm not going to take that away from you. Yeah, you get you at least get the attempt. Yes. Right. You get something. You get something that's the wrongs. Like, you know what? I really need the big the big pinchers. That's what I'm going for. All the rest of the tags are going to be really weird, but I'm going to have giant space claws because we need to break into a safe or something. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure what the practical application of mega space crab would be, but 
Besides to be an eldritch space horror, you know, well, that's, I guess that's, that's, that's really the main thing. <laughs> I, I think that's what, yeah, this move is just trying to get you to be a, an epic monstrosity. At the end of the day, that's what we really want to see here. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, that's that's all about, we want aliens, we want to see the weirdest and craziest things. So why would I not want to just become an epic monstrosity? Yeah. So <laughs> this is actually an, a, a, good, a, a good as any lead-in to one of my other questions I had was, this the the shaper is not generally doing these things in their own little world there are other players and npcs and all sorts of things around you while you're doing this potentially um what do you th- how do you play that narratively like if you turn into a mega space crab presumably the other characters are going to have some thoughts about that and you know, does that does does another player try and ride the mega space crab? Is somebody allergic to to shellfish? Like, how do we? <laughs> so, uh, in your games, how does the other players skid it back on track? I think that's the most that's I've good. ever made somebody laugh on the show. I'm that so happy. I'm that so happy not. that that lame joke is what really is what really did it for you. Uh, just took uh, me. So. <laughs> <laughs> how yeah, the other players yes yeah how do you how do at your table anyway how like you do the shaper you do the transform you turn into some bizarre creature that maybe they've never even seen or you fought with and they have a history with or any number of things uh, does that come up do they does it is that a conversation do weird things happen how does that go yeah i think it's i think it's definitely a uh conversation that is interesting for the characters to have uh, based on the knowledge that they have about the character who is transforming, mm-hmm. you know, when that sort of thing comes out of the blue, it's like, whoa, 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 hey, what, what are you? Because I, I look, I know I'm a robot, but I thought you were a human, and that's weird. So, like, <laughs> what's going on? Um, because you know, we, when you've got that uh, the group dynamic, and th- from my personal experience, this group of characters is a group that just came together, and they they've got all these different things, but it, this is a fairly unassuming guy who looks like, you know, space Davy Crockett or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, this is just like a dude. And then he turns into a, a giant worm and it's like, okay, hold on. We need to have a conversation <laughs> because what was that? And where, what are you? Are you a human? Uh, and so it leads to some really interesting character conversations and, you know, ways to move the story forward as the other characters sort of realize what you can do. And then once it's out in the open, you can really figure out how the team can use that. Like you said, if somebody's going to ride the space crab or, or if somebody has a history with that monster and they're like, I don't like the fact that you turned into that and it's upsetting to me for X, Y, and Z reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are really things to deal with and get to play out in the RP um, because you don't know what the other characters' uh, experiences might necessarily be with that. And so it's really fun to see and get to uh, evoke that sort of change uh, Mm -hmm. in the story. I'm also, I was just imagining like a Superman Clark Kent scenario where like you have Mm -hmm. this power, but you're, you are purposely trying to conceal it. So how do you like slip away to transform to just like, Oh, we just, that space worm just keeps happening to come up when we need it. That's pretty cool. Um, there are a lot of ways that you could take this and play it into interpersonal relationships with the other characters that the players are controlling. So I think that that's also that's really indicative of a good move 
is when it inspires narrative action outside of the move itself. Yes, and especially, you know, outside of the move itself, but also the fact that it's got the applications in and out of combat where it can do those things for the story for the characters as well. Uh, Because, you know, it might be like, I need to be the giant, you know, space crab so I have my big sexy pinchers to, you know, smash the bad guys. Or maybe I'm, you know, tiny space rat and, you know, all of this really clever naming that we're doing here. And But, you know, I'm, I'm a tiny space rat and so I can scurry through the vents of, you know, the, the starship and I can scout ahead for everybody. Um, a lot of different applications where you have opportunities to move the story forward in uh, unique and interesting ways and uh, help the party and maybe even fill in gaps where some, maybe for whatever reason, nobody has a particular skill that's needed. And it's like, okay, well, let's see, how can we figure out something where we can move forward, even if we don't have, you know, whatever might be the tool that we would typically think of for the job. Mm -hmm. I also think there'd be some really interesting narrative moments where like the shaper has some data points in their back pocket, but they're not, they're not exactly what they need right now. They're just completely the wrong thing. And how do I shoehorn these random creatures into the needs that I have right now? Yeah. Do I become some weird chimera of things that I've seen to try to like cobble it together and make it work or like, yeah, how do, how do I fit all of these things together? I think that's really interesting. Oh, multi data point transformations. There's so much here. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of potential with this move, and I think it's really cool to explore as long as you're super clear with your GM about like, hey, what can we do? Yeah, I mean, that's your GM, like a, a quote unquote good GM should always kind of roll with the punches and a good, mm-hmm. you know, quote unquote good player should never do anything specifically to disrupt the flow of the game for anybody. Right. But there are times like. Even if you everybody has the best intentions, you as a player could still do something so wild that the GM gets really flustered and, you know, feels confused. And, and that's nobody wants that. It's not a good situation oh, yeah. for anybody. So, yes, Absolutely. definitely there are there are lots of moves out there that you should chat about with your GM. But this one, there is so much power here. That could be, I don't want to say abused, because again, we're, we're talking about best intent here. Oh, yeah, always, yes. Yeah, there's just so much going on here that it would be really easy for, you know, oh, I've created this puzzle and it's got some underwater bits. It's like I turn into a shark, I guess. And you're just like, well, crap, like, <laughs> you've solved my water puzzle. <laughs> like, I, that's all I had planned was just water. And it was because none of you could breathe underwater. And so it would be easy for especially a type of GM who plans a lot to get really kind of blindsided. I think as a GM, I would always be like keeping very close track of your data points at the beginning of like every game. Like what data points do you have? Or even at the end of the game, if I'm planning something for next time, what data points do you have? What, what is in your repertoire right now that I need to be aware of for planning? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it makes sense at the end of session. If if you have someone who's going to plan a lot and isn't, you know, super improv heavy or whatever, but it's like, yeah, okay, I'm planning out, you know, my underwater puzzle. So I need to know because you have the potential to be something that can totally bypass that. If I'm going to try to plan this out, what do you have in the toolbox? Right. That I can, you know, plan for moving forward and not necessarily just to be like, you know, a middle finger or whatever, but to just know where we're at so that everybody's on the same page. And that's just the thing, you know, 
with these games where there are those moves that are really open ended. Mm-hmm. You know, you you have certain expectations that you want to have set so that you know nobody gets weird about anything. But right. again, with best intent, like you hope that that's not the case. But you know, sometimes somebody's got you know the reckless move in uh, Uncharted Worlds, and then they accidentally like make a black hole, and it's like, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I hate it when that accidental black hole. That's just like a real bummer. That happened, not on podcast, but uh, that did. Happen. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it must have been on the Scum and Villainy episode. I think that's the only other like space oriented game I've talked about. I think we talked mm-hmm. exactly about accidentally creating a black hole. So I feel like that's just like you're in space. Somebody needs to create an accidental black hole or we've left some material on the table. Yeah, no, you got it. It happened literally the first time that we ever played Uncharted Worlds. And it's like, okay, cool, 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 cool. Now we know. Now we know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's back it up a little bit. Yeah. Okay, cool. Or go completely forward all right we're six thousand years in the future and the robot saw all of it happen i was gonna say what's yeah right like let's just time jump so say what's what's further than a black hole like how do you yeah (laughs) how do you go harder than that you 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 figure it out and things get real weird (laughs) awesome well we kind of also just breezed through some gm response type of stuff there so mm-hmm. um we've covered pretty much everything i have written down was there anything about this move uh that we didn't cover that you'd like to touch on really quick yeah um so like in our game uh the way that we did it was because it's so open-ended and uh, it can get you know real weird real fast with this one uh we came up with a uh, a sort of role mechanic for the move um so okay. for us we decided to try it um where for transform you would roll plus metal and you know if you get a 13 plus you get to choose any three tags a 10 to 12 choose two seven to nine choose two and the gm chooses a negative tag and then six is that uh uh-oh like we've talked about (laughs) right um and so it's a it's a way to apply it where it's like okay yeah i'm i'm the space lizard and so you know I would ideally have tags in mind for Space Lizard that sort of... I like being able to take a look at the um, uh, vehicle and armor and uh, weapon tags and everything because there's some really fun stuff together. And it's like, okay, I, I have this alien in my mind. And so what two tags would this have? Would this have you know a couple of vehicle tags if it's more of you know a a large stocky almost you know livestock herding sort of creature from space or is it something that's very offensive and is going to have weapon tags uh and it's fun to sort of play those out but then you get that mixed success and it's like okay what is the gm gonna throw in there Mm -hmm. that makes sense with the creature but is gonna make things a little more difficult for me Right. And I, I think what you what you're describing right now is just a more mechanized version of what we had already talked about. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a way it's a way to have a dice mechanic for that if you choose to go that route. Right. Or you could just look to like the freshness of the data point to basically be that role. You know, mm-hmm. if it's months old, then it's that's, you know, that six minus if it's like a little bit old, then it's that seven to nine. So mm-hmm. I think, yeah, there's a lot of ways. Yeah. But that sort of that openness and the way that you can tailor to fit your game, mm-hmm. all the different ways that you can take Transformers, what I really like about this move and, and I enjoy about it a lot in application. Yeah. And I think it's great that you shared this kind of dice mechanic version of it, because I know there are some players out there that 
they get a little more um, kind of uneasy with those open-ended moves because they just don't know what to do with them, really. Right. And having a more defined set of choices, like saying, okay, your creature has tags. That's that's just it. Tell me what the tags are, and then we'll talk about what it looks like from there. Use them yeah. the way the rest of the game does. Very easily definable, yeah. Right. That might be a good jumping-off point for people who are just starting out with this move in this system to look at the tags for inspiration about what these creatures can do and not just have to... Because, I mean, defining alien physiology off the top of your head is not something we're all particularly great at. So having those tags to help you create weird creatures uh, would be a good starting point. Yeah, it's a, gr- it's a great place to jump off and then you know be able to figure out from there. But yeah, it's very, very easily digestible ways Mm -hmm. to create something unique i love it well i think that's transform again somebody needs to tell me how many times i've said this but this is a very small move that has a ton of layers and depth to it and it's just wild to me how so few words can turn into such a big thing oh my gosh yes there's so much the the way that it's open and the way that you know it can completely change it can transform the character and it can mm-hmm. transform the game as a whole it, and it's it's so it's so simple but you can do so much with it yeah awesome well Jonah thank you very much for bringing this move and frankly the whole system to my attention i i love the kind of mechanics and the way that this game is set up in comparison in, in in contrast to a lot of other pbta games so i've already ordered the book i will be diving into this shortly um, heck yeah let's so, play sometime let's do so it. yeah i'll let i'll let the publisher know to send you know your finder's fee for that one sale <laughs> i like it i like I'll, I'll be looking out for that yeah look out for that 21 <laughs> cent check Yes. Um, Jonah, uh, if, you, if you'd like to, I'd love to have you plug um, projects or shows or anything you'd like to tell the listeners about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so like we mentioned at the top, I'm part of the Quest Company. Uh, and you can find that on you know iTunes, Stitcher, any of the podcast places. Uh, we're on social media at the Quest Company. And our website is questcompanypodcast.com. Uh, speaking of PBTA games, uh, we've actually got a side quest that we are uh, going to be releasing very soon. It might already have the first episode out by the time this episode comes out. Uh, but we are doing a Dungeon World mini arc uh, called Portents. Uh, it's based in Terry Pratchett's Discworld universe. Uh, we had, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Critical Bits podcast, but Joel, the GM from that came. Uh, he was in town, so he was a guest with us. And that's going to be a lot of fun. It got you know super weird as always and it was it was crazy and we had a great time so uh be on the lookout for that if you're into you know obviously you're into pbta if you're listening to this (laughs) but uh if you're into terry pratchett stuff and uh just you know weird weird humor all that jazz (laughs) awesome yeah i i will definitely be uh setting that up to catch to catch that um i like to jump in on the new stuff so i don't have to try and catch up on so much backstory yeah yeah the backlog the backlog will really get you yeah this is going to be like five episodes fast and furious it's it's a good time perfect awesome well jonah thank you again for your time and for being on the show absolutely man yeah thanks so much for having me 
All right, listeners, thank you very much for tuning in to yet another episode. As always, uh, we have the Patreon you can go check out to support the show. It's patreon.com slash the hard move. And even though it's not PBTA, I'm going to take this opportunity to plug my Kickstarter that just went out for a small RPG in zine form. That's all about uh, teenagers working at malls. So if you're into that weird stuff, go check that out. Just search for mall kids on Kickstarter. Mall kids. (laughs) Awesome. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. The Hard Move is hosted and produced by Matthew Gravelin. You can follow the show on Twitter at The Hard Move and support the show at patreon.com slash The Hard Move. Music is by Nick Gravelin. You can find his work at nickgravelin.com. You can follow Jonah on Twitter at Jonah M. Jackson and check out The Quest Company at questcompanypodcast.com. Content featured in this episode is from Uncharted Worlds by Sean Gomes. For more information, visit uncharted-worlds.com. 